And I threw three touchdowns, and the other quarterbacks stunk it up, basically. And I became the starter and was Coach Spurrier's quarterback for three years. So who was who recruited you? Who Galen Hall. Oh, Galen okay. Hall. Yep. And, and, and then Spurrier started in 90. 90, right? yep. And what year you start? You, you came here in '88. '88. So I was. I, so I started for Spurrier as a redshirt sophomore. On my first two years, as I said, I was buried on the depth chart, telling my parents I need to go to Ole Miss because I can play there right away. But they're like, "Nope, ain't gonna happen." Yeah, and it's pretty. And did you know um, Spurrier at all when he came here? No. And so I, I grew up a coach's son. So I'm that guy that watched every game on TV. Even though back in those days, growing up in the 80s there weren't a whole lot of games on tv but there were no statues when i was in school here there were no pictures of steve spurry anywhere in the facility so i didn't know who he was and i saw the first uh so we had our christmas break before we went to the bowl game that year i went home to uh, for christmas and uh the all-american bowl in birmingham with duke and texas tech played my dad and i watched it that was spurrier's last game at duke he'd already taken this job and we're like, man, this is exactly what you did in high school. Throw it all around the ballpark. So uh, that's how – that was the first time I saw who Steve Spurrier was. Yeah, and uh, it, it just so happens that your new coach was uh, a Heisman Trophy winner as a quarterback. Right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, like I said, you know, nowadays kids would know who Tebow and Werfel and Spurrier are because they got the statues, they got all kinds of stuff around the facility. But back in those days, there was nothing, so I didn't know who he was. So tell me uh, about the first time you met uh, Coach. What what it was like? What he was like back then? Well, it was the first time I met him was in a team meeting, and it was like what I told you. He's like, you know, everybody's gonna get an equal opportunity to show what they can do in practice. In order for us to win championships here. We have to win SEC road games, and we have to beat the Georgia Bulldogs. That's for what he said in the first meeting. And, you know, he, he didn't have a whole lot of success as a player against Georgia. We all know what he did as a coach, but he hated the Georgia Bulldogs. And uh, so that was – I mean, he was, he was a very – a lot of people, whether it's arrogance, cockiness, or whatever, it's just that's who he is. That's his personality. It's not in a bad way, but it rubbed off on the players – and we played with that swagger. Yeah, that. So how was how was it once you got the starting job? Uh, how often would you talk to Coach? I call him Coach. Yeah. Uh, so Coach, uh, obviously, I would see him every day in practice. Obviously, but uh, he's a unique individual, and and people don't understand his coaching style. And so, for example, you know, most people have playbooks that are three. Back in those days, they would probably been a three ring binder about this thick with hundreds of pages. Nowadays, everything's on an iPad. Well, Coach, his playbook were usually two, maybe three sheets of white typing paper, and he would draw these little squares, hand-draw squares, and then draw plays and have his handwriting of what the play was called. Staple it together and hand it to you and said, fold it up and put it in your back pocket. In case you get bored, you can study your ball plays. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, he did that every year he coached. And there's no other coach in America that does that. Yeah. Now, we're here at Spurs Gridiron Grill, and uh, we want to um, encourage everybody to check it out. This is like the new clubhouse, right? This place, Freddie and his staff have done a phenomenal job. You know, I, I, it's, it's basically a museum where you can sit down and eat. 
and it's in a great location, but the food's outstanding. But it's it's everything Coach has done since his high school days till every league and every team he ever coached, and it's just a phenomenal place. Yeah, so those of you that are uh, watching and listening uh, and have not been to Spurrier's Gridiron Grill, put it on uh, your uh, top of your bucket list because uh, it's really um, an awesome place to go. It's fun. Uh, they did an amazing job. We're here in the podcast room. How many restaurants have a dedicated podcast room? Uh, not many, um, <laughs> and, and that's that's one thing that they looked at, and, and I thought it was a tremendous idea because not only do your podcast, I've done mine a few times from here, but, you know, Pat Dooley, a bunch of other people, people from other schools come here. Coaches here sometimes. Yeah, yeah so it's, uh, yeah. It, it's a great idea. And so – uh, part of, you know, uh, being a, a Gator great is continuing to give back to uh, the community. And I want to thank you for everything you've been doing um, over the years because uh, it's really kind of special um, to see what's happened. I mean, from my, my standpoint, right, Florida football really, you know, got started at the highest level ever. Uh, when Shane Matthews was our quarterback. So I want to thank you for that. Well, I appreciate it. It's all about being at the right place at the right time and being given the opportunity. And, you know, I tell everybody, us Gators, we're all lucky that somebody decided to hire the greatest Gator of them all, Steve Spurrier. None of this would be here. Yeah, that's true. So we're talking about the game Saturday night, right? And what you just said, you know, when preparation meets opportunity, right, sometimes amazing things can happen. And I think that's that's what I saw Saturday night, you know, with that interception uh, to end the game. Yeah, this uh, th- this new coach of ours, Billy Napier, is going to have a great career. He is sharp as a tack. He has a plan. Uh, I mean, he's one of the most organized human beings I've ever seen. He could tell us what the team is going to be doing three months from now on a Tuesday at 2 o'clock. I mean, he's got it all planned out. Uh, so, you know, it's a long season. It was a great, great win. But uh, he's the right guy, and he's going to build this program the right way. Yeah, and, and before Saturday night's win, I've been telling everybody that, you know, neighbors the right guy in my opinion. And let's not, you know, no matter what happens, win or lose, you know, don't forget that you got to give a guy a chance, oh, you no, know, no and, 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 you know, uh, the uh, AP rating rankings just came out and the Gators, some, you know, miraculously are number 12 in one poll, 14 in another poll. However, okay, there's a total of eight different SEC teams, okay, yeah. in the top 25. <laughs> and And that tells you something about, the fact that, you know, week in and week out, our competition's going to be uh, top level. Oh, the SEC's brutal week in and week out, no question. Um, it's the greatest league in all, all the country. Everybody, want, All the best players are in the SEC for the most part. Uh, tremendous fan bases. Uh, there's nothing like SEC football. Yeah, I was um, talking with uh, someone earlier today about the fact that, you know, the atmosphere in the swamp, yeah, you were up in the booth. I, by the way, Shane is now our uh, color commentator for the Gators. Mick Hubert retired, and um, the um, Sean, Kelly. Sean, Sean Kelly, great guy uh, from New Orleans, and uh, has he was calling the uh, Pelicans basketball games. He did uh, football with ESPN. 
Uh, how long, how many games, You this was your first game with Sean, right? Yes, uh, I did six games, five or six games with Mick last year on the road. And then uh, that was the first one with Sean. And everybody asked me, how much preparation did y'all prepare? No, we just showed up and called the game, you know, because it's really not, you can't really prepare because you don't know what's going to happen. You just call what you see. Yeah, so what's the difference between the play, play-by-play guy, you know, which would be Sean Kelly, and, and what the color commentator you do? Well, the play-by-play guy is a professional guy who's been doing it a long time. Uh, the color analyst is usually a former player of whatever sport it is, and you're talking X's and O's and kind of what happened on the play for the person that's listening on the radio and can't see it. You kind of describe what happened. Okay. So that's how they, yeah, because um, the our radio network, the listeners, is immense, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's probably as many or more people listening to radio than are uh, on TV because everybody's got the game tuned on no matter what's going on. Yeah, and a lot of Gator fans that are watching it on TV, even people sitting in the stands of the game are listening to us just uh, because they don't want to listen to the TV folks. <laughs> yeah, well, not only that. Well, I, I go to just about every game. Uh, I've got to be uh, out of town on something really important to miss a game. And um, it's completely different than watching it on TV. Uh, you know, you, you know, you're in the game and you're seeing what's going on, and now they do a little bit of playback up, up on the screen, so you get a little bit of chance if you miss it, right? right. Uh, however, um, I, I've never been one of those guys that listened, you know, to the radio or the TV while I'm watching the game. I probably would get more out of it. However, I've, uh, you know, I have our, our gang around us and everybody's screaming and yelling right. and in there. And sometimes you lose a little bit of, of that if you're, uh, you know, if you're paying attention to, uh, you know, Shane Matthews uh, on the radio. That is very true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hurt your listening audience because I, I'm really excited uh, to have you as a color commentator for the new, you know, well, you did some last year, but really this is, you know, uh, the Billy Napier uh, era. And you and I have been around um different you know this there was the spurrier era and the mm-hmm. billy donovan era okay uh for me those are the two uh seminal uh figures in gator sports what do you think oh there's no yeah i agree 100 percent. i mean spurrier when it comes to football i mean urban had his his two national titles but when people think of the greatest football coach and basketball coach is definitely Spurrier and Donovan. So when you came in uh, in 1990, I know that you um, <clears throat> that it, the SEC was uh, primarily a, a running mm-hmm. um, conference. Everybody would run the ball, and you know, uh, I <clears throat> I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. Okay, <laughs> another Cleveland. And so I went to Ohio State um, because that's what you did when you were from Cleveland, right. Ohio, right? So, um, and I I watched football in Cleveland to begin with. I watched Jim Brown run, which wasn't bad, yeah, okay? Pretty and, good. and a guy named Otto Graham was the quarterback. Good. And uh, then I go to Ohio State, and I've got Woody Hayes as a coach, and every year, you know, it's amazing. But it, the story there was um, three yards in a cloud of dust, okay? Yeah. And that was football for 
And I guess, you know, I don't remember it distinctly, but I guess during the 60s, 70s, and 80s, uh, running football was uh, pretty dominant, at least in the SEC. It was. uh, You know, the three yards in a cloud of dust, they talked about it down here in the South as well. Uh, You know, when I was growing up, Herschel Walker at Georgia, Bo Jackson at Auburn, they had all these great running backs. And I don't know if teams, coaches just didn't trust their quarterbacks to throw it. And then, you know, that's that's the great thing about Coach Furr. He came in here, and it was like a bunch of trick plays we were running. But, you know, we're just throwing the ball around the ballpark, and I don't think the Gator fans knew what to expect. Yeah, well, I was here uh, going to the games, and so it's pretty amazing. So here, you and Spurrier and the whole team, the rest of because we got to give credit uh, because – Without a good front line and the whole team together, the quarterback uh, can't do uh, do much. Um, you you guys really revolutionized college football. I agree with that. Um, that's why they call it the fun and gun because we had coach inherited a tremendous defense in 1990. Didn't really know much about the offense, but you know we we threw it around. I mean, we scored on the first drive of the Spurrier era in five plays. Uh, in like a minute 42, we went no huddle, and, and fans didn't know what to expect. They were used to Emmett right, Emmett left, punt, you know. Um, so he he changed. People talk about all these spread offenses and all this stuff these days. Well, we were spread back in 1990. It just wasn't called that. Um, but he's just his mind for the game was unbelievable. Yeah, and I, so when when y'all come to uh, Spurrier's Gridiron Grill. Uh, you can go up to the second floor and you can see the coaches' plays handwritten mm-hmm. on the wallpaper in the men's room and the women's room. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, I, that's, I love looking at those. Those are some of his favorite plays. Yeah. So, hey, we're going to go to a quick break, and we're going to be back in 60 seconds on Melden Law and Friends. Oh, my gosh. I can't even believe this. Look, look what you have done to my truck. Excuse me, it's your fault, it's not my fault. Yes, it is your fault. I am calling Jeffrey Meldon from Meldon Law. So I'm going to call Jeffrey, my husband. Meldon Law, this is Jeffrey speaking. Jeffrey! This guy's here. This guy's here. He might... New client? Yes, but this one might be a little tricky. I was in a truck accident. Because of the accident, I've resulted in three back surgery. We saw advertisements on TV, and guess who popped up more often than that? It was Jeffrey. The communication that he provided was so appreciative. He shows his compassion as a human. He assisted us in achieving one of our dreams, acquisition of a home, and we're here today with smiles on our face with the assistance from Jeffrey.
Melden Law and Friends, I'm Jeffrey Melden. Listen, I want to tell everybody, please go to the Melden Law Facebook page because we've got great ticket giveaways for all the Gator sports. Uh, Kentucky, uh, two tickets and a $100 gift certificate to Spurrier's Gridiron Grill. The volleyball team uh, is great. Mary Wise has been here over 30 years, and she's an amazing coach. She's brought in great talent. Check out. Uh, the volleyball, and then we're going to be rolling into basketball. Uh, I'm so excited uh, to see Todd Golden roll out the new uh, Gator basketball team, just like Billy Napier has energized uh, the uh, Florida nation, the Gator nation uh, regarding football. I think uh, we're on the verge of uh, starting to uh, see some incredible basketball again after uh, Billy Donovan's uh, incredible run. Uh, Shane, do you get to go to any of the basketball games? I do. Um, not all, not as many as I would like because, you know, they, sometimes those things start way too late for me. I'd rather watch it on TV and go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I'm excited for Todd Golden. I think he's going to bring a new energy uh, into the O'Connell Center. Yeah, well, he certainly, in many ways, is doing things in, a, uh, in the same kind of mold as uh, Billy Napier, their own way, but, mm-hmm. you know, they seem – to be developing uh, the culture of the team. And I want you to talk about that. You know, you you had a 14-year career, career in the NFL. You, you were a Gator great and, you know, the SEC Player of the Year uh, two times. Is that right? Yes, sir. About 91 and 92? 90 and 91. 90 and 91. I got screwed in 92. I should have <laughs> won it that year, too. <laughs> So everybody, and, and as Spurrier says, we were the SEC champion in 90 That's as right. well. That's right. <laughs> hey, the coach, some people say we won six out of 12 championships. It's seven. It's seven. Yeah, I agree with him. <laughs> uh, mere technicalities uh, kept us from uh, being on the uh, official board, but we did win seven. Anyhow, um, one of the things that we deal at Melvin Law is, you know, we've got 30, 35 people on our team right now. And, you know, we try to deal with uh, team culture. What are some of the things that you learned over the years as far as, you know, how to successfully develop a a winning team culture? Well, I think a lot of it starts with uh, the guy in charge, you know, and and the teams here at Florida with Coach Spurrier, he was such a player's coach. He only had a few rules, but players knew you better follow those rules, you know, and – Give me one or two of his rules. Well, it was just – it was treat women with respect, you know, sit in the front row when you go to class, and then you could only say – well, I can't say it on here, but there was three cuss words you could say. I guess I could say it on here, right? Yeah. Shit, damn, and hell. Okay, that was okay. Yeah, that was okay. You said anything else, uh-huh. you were in trouble. Uh-huh. But that, it was just simple rules like that. But, um, you know, I, I think from – being on a team, being a quarterback, you're always the focal point. But you got to have a good relationship with everybody on the team. I try to treat everyone the same. Um, you know, I think being a coach's son and seeing how my dad had to relate with people in high school, you got to deal with all walks of life. Help me. Uh, I can get along with anybody. Um, but just, you know, lead by example. You know, I was never the, the strongest guy. I didn't do a whole lot of weightlifting. But I was there to support the guys that were weightlifting, you know. Because they were saving your butt. That's right. That's right. So, you know, I just, 
it's just cool, like in your business now, I mean, you have a team and it's cool to be a part of a team because everybody's working together for one goal. And and they all say football is the greatest team sport there is because if the left tackle doesn't do his job, it's hard for the quarterback to do his job. So it's, uh, you know, football's changed a lot, especially at the collegiate level when they got rid of the athletic dorms because we all lived in Yon Hall, which is on the east side of the stadium. Not just football, basketball, baseball. Every male sport lived in there. So we bonded a lot together. You had to spend a lot of time together. And then they did away with athletic dorms in 96, I believe. And kids started living all over. And I think that hurts your team chemistry at times. Um, but it's uh, it's fun to be part of a team again. I feel like I'm part of the Gators now being part of the, the color radio guy. Well, that's great. So, so getting back to my uh, question, you know, what is it that you've seen about team culture you know the winners what is it what are some of the things you see in winning teams uh everybody working for the same common goal you know i think today's in today's society there's a lot of i i i out there a lot of people don't want to they're not worried about what the team does is what can i get what am i going to get paid to go to the next level uh, and I think that's what Billy Napier's done a tremendous job all summer long. He's had these different stages of their all-season program. One of them was an identity stage. And I don't really know what they were doing. I just followed it on Twitter like everybody else. But he broke them into teams, and there was like 10 to 12 teams, but two captains. And those guys were in charge of those teams, whether it was going to class, you get points for that. Being on time, you get points for that. So – Everybody had to work together for the same common goal, and I think that's the biggest thing when it comes to team chemistry. You know, there's a saying that culture beats talent every day, uh, and that, you know, uh, in the past 10 years or so, 10, 12 years, I, I, <clears throat> I wasn't that familiar with the team culture uh, when Tebow was here, but I got the sense that it was a good team culture because, number one, you were winning. Mm-hmm. And number two, Tebow was a good, strong uh, leader, and I think he was an inclusive kind of person. Uh, however, after after that uh, period, you know, 2010, uh, we've had some success. However, I never felt as though the team culture was um, quite as in sync as it had been in prior years. No, I agree with that. And, and like I said, I think a lot of it, players feed off their the guy in charge. Uh, and I think Billy Napier is the right guy right now. And, you know, the thing that bothered me the most about our squad last year, because people talk about last year, not great culture or whatever, and I saw it in the press box, is, is sometimes our effort. And, you know, I, when I speak to young teams, I say, you know, this guy may be more bigger, stronger, and faster than you, but there's two things you can control, your attitude and your effort. And if you do that, regardless if it's sports, schoolwork, whatever it is, you're going to be okay. Well, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, I think um, right now everybody's, you know, riding high. Um, you know, like you, myself, and a lot of other people have been trying to pay attention to the uh, changes that are going on. And I think it's a good lesson for all of our listeners that it doesn't matter if it's a football team or a law firm or a business uh, or, you know, whatever, a charity, whatever it is. Uh, I think some of the same rules apply with regard to, you know, leadership and creating a team culture. 
Well, I, I agree. I mean, and if there's any young people listening out there, I think you learn so much about what you talk about, leadership and being part of a team, by being part of a team. You know, get involved at a young age, whether it's the band, whether it's playing football, baseball, or basketball, or tennis, or whatever, or just being in a drama club. I think once people are around other people, they understand how they can communicate, and that's where the culture and chemistry and being part of a team come from. Because I think today in today's society, too many kids want to play video games, and I'm going off on a tangent here, but they they want to they want to they want to be individuals. And they don't know how to relate to other people because they don't get involved in things. Yeah, um, I'm on the same page, by the way, Shane. I think it's like when you and I grew up, it was like, you know, uh, after school, we'll go play in the yard, in, yeah. in, in the schoolyard. You know, that's what we did. You know, it's right. like, oh, school's over. So we're going to, we went in the schoolyard and we played uh, every, whatever the sport was, it was in season. I mean, uh, your dad was a, a football coach, so, uh, you know, you, you you certainly had that advantage. More importantly, though, whether you're playing sports or not, there was a, a lot of uh, interaction between people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we're, we're actually dealing with that right now in the office because during COVID, a lot of people started working remote. Right. And we saw a uh, disconnect because there's even if they're great people, great you know team members know what they're doing, there was a difference between working um, you know two feet away from somebody you know whose office was right next to you, or somebody who if you wanted to call them on the phone or, or you know Zoom with them or whatever, it was it was available. However, um, it changed uh, the culture. Uh, in different ways, and, and you know, now we're, you know, we're in the process of finding the right solution to create um, excellent team culture. Yeah, and I, I'll tell you from an athlete standpoint, you know, when when guys play in the NFL for a long, well, it doesn't have to be a long time, but when you're on part of a team and then you're done and you go into the real world, you miss being in that locker room just because you're part of a team. You know, it's just it's hard to explain, and I think, you know when you retire from something you've done for a long time, it's a huge adjustment because whatever you're doing now is totally different than what you did your entire life. Um, but yeah, being, being part of a team, the chemistry is crucial in being, having success. Well, we're, uh, we're really pleased. I, we're going to have to have you back again. I think, what's this, the second time you've been on? I think we're going to. I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, but um, I love having you on. Like, we get started, and we, you know, uh, for those of you that uh, <clears throat> don't know, we didn't prepare this show with any particular script. No. I, I, I think I, I was <laughs> supposed to send a bio, and I, I just I dropped the ball on that. <laughs> well, Shane is one of my friends who actually uh, you can go on Wikipedia and uh, find out stuff about him. But uh, I I've, uh, value my friendship uh, with Shane Matthews. Thank you very much for joining us on Meldon Law and Friends, and we'd love to have you back. It's just uh, a great honor to have you here. Thank well, you very I, much. I want to thank you for doing everything you do to support my program, and, and, and especially the, the high school sports here in Gainesville, because I'm a huge – I love high school sports, and you guys do a tremendous job. Yeah, I know. I've seen, I know you were – you coach GHS. Or my and Buholtz. I coach both Buholtz. places, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and that, uh, you know – 
So this year, it looks like Buholtz is going to be the big dog in yeah, town, they're, huh? They're loaded. They got some really good players. They're well coached and uh, should have a big year. Yeah, well, we're uh, we we love our high school. Think about this: how many more players are there in high school football compared to college football? Oh, way more. Yeah, way more. And that's one reason um, that we feel like you know our scholar athlete uh, of the week program honoring the the uh, scholar athletes in our community is really one of the best things we can do to give back to the community because uh, the kids that work hard get good grades and also are gifted athletes mm -hmm. that's a pretty special uh, mantle to carry I think no doubt about it and, and they they they're very thankful that y'all do that. Well, we're we're excited to have Shane Matthews on the show. Uh, we're going to go to a three-minute break, and we are going to be back with our next guest, David Young. Oh, my gosh. I can't even believe this. Look. Look what you have done to my truck. Excuse me. It's your fault. It's not my fault. Yes, it is your no, fault. Not, no, I am not. calling Jeffrey Maldon from Maldon Law. So I'm going to call Jeffrey, my husband. Melden Law, this is Jeffrey speaking. Jeffrey! This no, person no, here, God. this person here, he might... New client? Yes, but this one might be a little tricky. When you're a member of the Gator Nation, you know what it means to never back down. Melden Law has been a proud supporter of the Gator Nation since 1971. Two forces that won't back down. As the old saying goes, if you can't beat them, join them. We still hear it. The sound of victory. The joy of being part of something great. And while things may not be the same right now, we haven't gone anywhere. If you bleed orange and blue, then Melden Law is the firm for you. We are here at the University of Florida, where Albert and Alberta are competing in the Gator Penalty Shootout. Albert is ready to stop the shot at all costs. What a disaster! Luckily, Melden Law is the only official law firm partner of the Florida Gators. If you have suffered any injury, do not worry because Melbourne Law is going to help you with your recovery. Melbourne Law doesn't back down until they reach their goal. Albert, Alberta, I understand you were witnesses to a crash. Can you tell us about the accident? When you're in a crash, it's important to get witness statements immediately after the accident. Whether you're in a car, truck, motorcycle, scooter, or even a golf cart accident, at Melden Law, we won't back down. And I was in an accident. Someone ran red light and hit me, and I was hurt. You don't know where to turn. Luckily, I called Jeffrey. These big insurance companies, they don't want you to win. They truly don't. But Jeffrey and his firm and the people that work here, they just really fight for you. You call the law offices of Jeffrey Belden because you're going to need help 
and they will help you. Welcome back to Meldon Law and Friends. I'm Jeffrey Meldon, founder and uh, head bottle washer at Meldon Law. We're glad to uh, have you uh, on our podcast today, uh, listening or watching. It's uh, great. Couple more things I want to mention. We do have giveaways on the Meldon Law Facebook page. Uh, I'm going to read through these really quickly. So we're giving away um, a four-pack of tickets and a two-pack of tickets mm-hmm. for all the volleyball games coming up. Uh, there's uh, the Sunshine Invitational, uh, FSU, September 13th. That's a big one, a four-pack of tickets plus a $50 gift certificate to Harry's Bar and Grill and also a uh, two-pack with uh, – $25 gift certificate. Uh, another Gator football game, USF, coming up September 17th. You can get two tickets to that and a $100 gift certificate to Spurrier's Gridiron Grill. Volleyball plays Alabama next, and then uh, the Gators uh, host Eastern Washington, which uh, is looking to be like uh, uh, our walkover game. Uh, we used to have two walkover games. Uh, at the beginning of every year, and uh, uh, they did away with uh, those, at least for this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to talk about that with our guest, uh, who is here to uh, help us uh, understand what's going on today, not only in football, but in other aspects of our life. David Young, how are you doing today, David? I'm doing wonderful. I'm doing really good, Mr. Jeffrey. I'm glad you had me on, actually. I was actually looking forward to it once Charles told me about it. I was really excited. Well, good. So uh, David is a former Gator great football player. uh, And, uh, you know, more importantly, he was a scholar athlete, uh, SEC. I I noticed that in your bio. Yes, yes, I was. Yes, I was. I played uh, Florida, played football at Florida from 2008 to 2012. I was one of our uh, backup offensive linemen behind Mike Pouncey. It was a (laughs) <laughs> well, you were behind one of the greatest <laughs> NFL players ever, right? Exactly. One of the greatest to ever do it, him and his brother. Uh, I was talking to one of the former players yesterday. I was telling him that I believe Mike Marquis Pouncey is by far the best center to ever play football. And Mike's like right up there, like top five. Yeah. They, they, changed, they really changed the game for, for, for offensive line play all around. So, so, tell, uh, so uh, what is it that they did that was, uh, you know, above and beyond what anybody else before them did. So and as a, growing up as a kid, I remember watching Jeff Saturday and Olin Cruz. They were like the best centers in the league. Who? Olin Cruz, he played for the Bears. Jeff Saturday, Jeff Saturday was Peyton Manning Center for a long time at the Colts. Oh, okay. And I remember watching Marquise his rookie year for the first time ever seeing a center snap the ball and go block a corner in the same play. Like he did that all the time in college. They would pull the center and pull him and they would – uh, that Coach Dazia would pull both Mike and Marquise on one play. It didn't make sense, but they were so freakish athletic, which changed the game. The rookie year, Pro Bowl offensive lineman, only reason they don't win the Super Bowl because he gets hurt in the playoffs. Like, he's literally the best to ever do it. Now, I, well, would, I would argue that against anybody. Well, it's pretty amazing because um, I didn't realize that that's what made them unique, that they were so athletic. Oh that they could reliably snap the ball and then create an, an additional um, blocking lineman it was uh, to the outside, right? It was ridiculous. And Watching them pull from the center position to go block an outside linebacker, 
is just ridiculous. Yeah. Which is why we ran so many sweeps when we had, like, Jeff Demps on the team. We ran a lot of sweeps because we had really freakish athletic linemen to get out there. That way, you, normally, a sweep play, you have a, a tight end out there blocking an outside linebacker, and he can be beat sometimes. But if you put a 320-pound, six-foot-six six person in front of an outside linebacker, he's not touching that for a running back. So yeah, it was, it was right. so much fun. Well, that was great. How, uh, where'd you go to high school? So I'm from Edwardsville, Illinois. Um, that's where I went to high school. It's a small town in Illinois outside of uh, East St. Louis. Most people, they know East St. Louis. So I always, I always say outside East St. Louis. But I did. I played football. I started playing football in eighth grade in Edwardsville. And it was just, it just, it was for me, it was an outlet. I, I was able to hit people without getting in trouble. So it was wonderful. <laughs> I loved it. I was awesome. You were a big dude back then. I've been, at 14 years old, I was about six foot tall and 214 pounds. Oh, wow. Like, I've been big for a very long time. I'm so, like a 10-pound baby. That makes sense. So you, so you play uh, um, high school football. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was, what's it called? Edwards? Edwardsville. Edwardsville. So, mm-hmm. so you're right near, so East St. Louis is across the river from yeah. St. Louis. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I'm like right across the river from Missouri. It takes me 35 minutes to get to the St. Louis airport from my house. Got it, got it. And so what was the recruiting process like uh, to come down to Florida? My recruiting process was very unique. Um, mainly because there was no one in my family who told me about college football, and I didn't really know how big it was coming here. So uh, it's a funny story. I always tell people, I really wanted to wear an orange helmet. It's actually very funny. And my crosstown rivals, yeah, we have orange helmets <laughs> yeah, a lot of orange uh, helmets. Our crosstown rivals wore purple, and I refused to go to any school that wore purple. I actually got an offer from Kansas State and turned them down immediately. And I also refused to play football in, in the state of Missouri because we're like state rivals. So it was like they offered me a scholarship. I told them no. And it was just like my two orange helmet scholarships were University of Illinois and University of Florida. At the time, I had no idea how good Florida was until my uncle got involved in my recruitment. He said, you do realize they won the championship last year. I said, I didn't know that. I was talking about in 2006. And I was like, I had no idea. So I, I, I didn't watch a lot of college football. Luckily, uh, I came on a visit here, 2007. We're playing, we're playing FSU. It was crazy. It was Tebow's Heisman year. It was absolutely electric. I had never seen anything like this before. And I was like, I love this place. Like, I really want to be here. <laughs> and then I went to Illinois two weeks later, and I was like, I hate this place. I don't want to go here at all. <laughs> well, there's only a few uh, schools in college football that create the kind of electri- electricity you see at the swamp. Oh yeah. It's well, like, so name me some of the other places, other college stadiums that create the electricity like uh, we have in uh, in Gainesville. And I hate to say like us because I think ours is the best, but uh, I would say Clemson has the ability to do it like us. Um, LSU, Ohio State. But the reason, and I think it's kind of tough because I think we're we're one of the only teams that have a under hundred thousand under hundred thousand uh, capacity, but makes the noise with me because like Tennessee has more than us, Ohio State has a bigger stadium than us, but we're still just as loud. Like I remember two thousand eighteen when uh, when Tebow came back for the ten year reunion, we beat LSU in a swamp. I was on the sideline of the game. It was like the loudest game of my life. Yeah. Now, I was talking to Fred Johnson about this last on, on the sideline this past game. He said Auburn game was just was like literally one of the loudest games in football history when we played Auburn in 2019. So it's like our stadium's so loud, which is why I don't like to put a lot of people with us because I, I think we're the loudest 
especially well, for the capacity we have. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, look, the SEC schools uh, generally have, um, you know, the most uh, enthusiastic fans, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when you go outside the SEC, there's a school here, a school there, Ohio State, I don't know about Michigan, you know, but, right. uh, you know, they're, they're big football powerhouses. Right. Uh, however, I um, I don't I, – I have to confess that, you know, I went to a lot of Ohio State football games because that's where I was from Cleveland and I, I, I went to Ohio State undergrad. Uh-huh. Okay? Uh-huh. I and know about that. So, so I had Woody Hayes. Uh, he was a famous uh, football coach. I don't know if you ever heard of Woody I've Hayes. I've heard of Woody Hayes. He's famous. Yeah, yeah. pretty famous. <laughs> pretty nice guy. Pretty good guy. <laughs> so, anyhow. So I, uh, but at Ohio State, it was loud, but this was like uh, deafening. This past Saturday, mm-hmm. were you at the game? Oh, yeah, I was oh, on yeah, the sideline. Oh, yeah, you were at our tailgate. It was, yeah, I saw you at the tailgate, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but anyhow, man, they, they talk about the 13th man at uh, Texas A&M. This yeah. is bigger than uh, being the 13th man, I think. Yeah, we're pretty awesome. It's pretty crazy here. And I think big, I think the reason why is because of the way that the stadium is designed. It's like the higher you go up, the closer to, the closer you are to the previous seat. So the top is like you feel like everything on top of you when you're on the field. Yeah. Whereas like those, like Ohio State, it's a big. The sideline's so much further from the stadium, I mean from the field. It's like so much extra space for the voices to, to get quieter when they're screaming. They're loud, oh. but they're nowhere near as loud as us. Well, yeah. um, anyhow, for those of you that haven't been to a, a Gator football game uh, recently, this past Saturday uh, we beat Utah, who was ranked number seven in the country. And it was a big game for the Gators because, number one, it was the first game of the Billy Napier era. And secondly, uh, it was a game at home, and the Gators aren't supposed to lose at home. At all. We're not no. supposed to at all. No. no. I mean, we almost beat Alabama last year. Okay. That was a crazy game, too. Yeah. Oh, God. So, um, now, you you were a very good student. Were you a, a, a diligent student in high school as well? In high school, I, high school, school was kind of easy for me. I just, like, my mom was very, very educated, so I just always knew I had to get good grades so I couldn't play football. In college, actually, I had a I had one year where I actually was an SEC academic honor. I mean, uh, SEC academic SEC all uh, not all American all SEC student. It was my two thousand second year. I was wow. all SEC. It was pretty crazy. My I, I credit all that to my tutor that year. Cause she was like, she was the best tutor I've ever had in my life. She really was to stay on top of me. What's it like trying to manage your time? Um, as far as uh, you know, you've got football, you've got studies, you've got all of that stuff. Um, it was pretty crazy back then. Uh, definitely not as crazy as it is now, because now that, that now they have to manage also NIL stuff. So I mean, but I think it was pretty for me. Managing time was the most important thing, and we were all on a, a very strict schedule. So that's the biggest thing, and the scheduling was always important. That's why I take that. I took my scheduling from college and I applied it to my life now, because mm-hmm. if you have a good schedule, you can get everything you want to get done done as long as you allot the time for it. So um, tell me a little bit about, you know, the team leadership. Uh, we, I was talking with Shane Matthews earlier mm-hmm. in the show about leadership. Uh, you were there when uh, Tebow was there, and mm-hmm. uh, we were winning national championships, uh, not only in 06, but in 08, and in 07 and 09, we could have won. Well, uh, we definitely could have won in 2009. It was, it was a 
That, uh, I was there in, in Atlanta uh, when, uh, you know, uh, Saban uh, kind of uh, stepped on our dream. His revenge tour. <laughs> His revenge tour, yeah. But what was, what was the um, team leadership like? And uh, wh- what is it that uh, well, we were talking about team culture? What was it like? You came here in 08. Mm-hmm. What was it like back then? I remember meeting Phil Trotwine. Uh, it was a, in 2008, he was a senior offensive lineman. And I remember him not being the best athlete, but him having the most respect. He wasn't always the strongest guy, but he, when he, when he played football, he was unstoppable. Like, he wasn't super freakish athletic, super strong. He was just, he was just dominant on the field, and he allowed his play. He didn't do a lot of talking at all in the meeting room, but he allowed his play to talk all for him. And back then, a lot of that's how I was with a lot of those leaders. Tim didn't do a lot of rah-rah talking other than, like, the promise or, like, the halftime of the national championship game. But during the season, people think Tim Tebow was, like, this rah-rah guy. He just hit you in the mouth and played football. Like, the Pouncey's just played for every day. Watching them practice was like watching a, a CEO run a business because they literally were just, like, they treated every practice like it was a game where – where nowadays you see kids practicing like like it's like like they're just walking through or going through the motion, which is why they don't become great. But when you have when you see players practice how they want to play in a game, it's a big, big, big difference. You know, uh, I, I'm thinking of uh, some th- some remarks I, I'm going to give to our team at the law law office, um, and I'm, I pick up a lot from football oh, because. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we've got a big team at our office, you know, 35 people, and uh, everybody needs some leadership. Yeah. So that's why I'm always uh, interested in finding out what are those, who were the vocal leaders on the team or, or, or the coaches? Who, who was really getting, you know, you going? When it came to, like, vocally, you always heard Coach Mick, our strength coach, like, constantly he was always a thousand a thousand decimals. Like everywhere we was going, practice, he was yelling, he was telling us, get going, get going. And it's the same with Dazio. Dazio was on us all the time about getting the job done, finishing through the drill. Pa- pa- uh, Coach Meyer had a saying, he would always say four to six seconds of a relentless, of a relentless a- effort. So it wasn't about running as fast as you can for as long as you can. It was about taking four to six. He created a mentality of four to six seconds. Of the hardest you can go. That's how long a play is. As an offensive line player, as an offensive lineman, I don't have to block for ten minutes. I gotta block this guy as hard as I can for four to six seconds. And it created it just created this different culture for us for when it came to time when it came time to grind. It created a different culture when it when it came when it came time to put the, the cleats to the mud and put the hands on the other guy. It was just I wanna bury this guy every single play for four or six seconds. So the the vocal leaders were the coaches and the players. They didn't do. It wasn't a lot of talking. It was a lot of playing. Even like Brandon Spikes, he would have fun in practice, but he was always serious about let's get this done. It was. I guess that team was so. I came when I came here. It was like a team that was so well put together that there wasn't a lot of need for like, hey guys, let's go. Like I never, I can't recall hearing anybody be like, "Hey guys, let's get, let's have a good practice." No, nah, it was like we're going to work. So watching that as a freshman, it was like, 
eye-opening. I had no idea in the moment how good that team was until it got to bowl game when we were prepping for uh, Oklahoma because the way that we prepped for Oklahoma, at that time Oklahoma had the best, the fastest offense in the college football. They would get a playoff every three, every every like uh, 60 seconds they were like running a play really, really fast. So to prep for it, what the coaches did, they had scout team, defenses here, they had scout to, had had one scout team offense already ready set while the other play was getting ready to go. So they were the defense would go right from one play to the other hash mark and had and we and the scout team had to snap the ball like as fast as they possibly could. And defense it was that's why when it got to the game time, the defense was able to stop Oklahoma. Like we beat we beat the mess out of Oklahoma. Like, I know, I know. Was I was amazing. I was down in Miami for that game. Yeah, and, you were everywhere. Uh, <laughs> and, well, I, I'm very proud to say that uh, the Gators have had uh, five national championship football games. I count Nebraska 95. I know you do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a lot of guys to count that one. <laughs> and, and I've been to every one of those games, and the Gators have been to, um, let's see, 94, um, basketball, 94, uh, 2000, 2006, 2007, uh, that's four, and then 2014. So five, na- five uh, national. Fours, yeah. So I was at five final fours and uh, what I guess four national championship yeah, games because awesome. we had um, 95, 96, 06, and 08. Yeah, 95. Everyone who talks about that team said that was the best like team we've ever had. Like it was just crazy. Well, Coach Spurrier uh, came back from that game. And said they ran faster than we did, so we got to change it. He figured out a way in one season to make his team faster. He's amazing. So, anyhow, I wanted to talk, switch topics a little bit, um, and talk about you know you. I know that you're uh, very involved in gifting uh, as as a profession. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what the gifting profession is all about? So, what gifting is all about. Properly, properly appreciating your customers. Like me, I work for a company called Cutco Closing Gifts. And what we do is we specialize with realtors, loan officers, and business owners appropriately uh, gifting to their clients. Most people, when they think about gifting, they think about it as about just they, they gift to their clients that they would gift to their friends. So when you think about gifting, most people give like wine, they give uh, gift cards, things that are like great People love those things, but they're here today and going tomorrow. When it comes to gifting, the biggest goal is to create a raving fan. Like, if you can't create a raving fan, you're not gifting properly. And the best way to do that is to give them something that's useful and has great longevity. So that's why I love my company, because we created a, Our company's been in business since 1949. Cutco has. It's American-made kitchen cutlery. We're like the Rolls-Royce of Bentley of the kitchen knives. And literally, what we did was about 15 years ago... We created a gifting division that helps realtors, business owners, and loan officers appreciate their clients better by just uh, by gracefully branding themselves on the product. And by and while doing that, it does several things for them. It keeps them top of mind. It, it, it creates client retention and is 100% tax deductible. Yeah. So it's just a, a, we put systems in place. Well, all. I'll tell you um, that I really um, enjoy gifting. I've gotten a few... Um, really nice uh, Cutco knife sets. And uh, one of the things I learned is 
don't put you don't have to necessarily put your you know the name of the business on on you can put the name of the person you're gifting it to also yes 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 <laughs> and when it comes to like gifting it's great to give it and if you want it to last forever put the name on it it's yeah. amazing it, it, they'll never forget that and and so uh my wife and i always look at our knife sets that have been gifted i have two knife sets that have been gifted to us nice and we use them every day that's amazing okay? that's and amazing. Even, and our name is on them but i know who gifted them to exactly. us? Exactly. Okay. You'll never forget that gift. That's the thing. So That's why I love it. So anyhow, and and we're actually uh, fans of of gifting at Melden Law, and we, we're uh, constantly implementing programs mm-hmm. uh, yes. because yes, you guys are. Uh, it works. And and I think uh, I want to commend you for you know taking you know your knowledge and background and, and actually creating something that number one it makes people happy number two it increases their uh business Mm -hmm. uh and everybody uh everybody's happy and it's not done very much it's very true that's very true that's like the big that's my my favorite question to ask a prospective client is like a lot of people when they talk about gifting they're like oh yeah every client's different yes every client's different but every gift doesn't have to be different. I tell my clients all the time. So I asked them. I actually got the other day. I said, uh, I said, you love your wife? He said, yeah, of course. I said, how long have you been married? He said, uh, 13 years. I said, what did your wife get you for Father's Day four years ago? He said, I can't remember. And I said that because that's the biggest thing. People think about gifts as their friends. I'm like, you're, you can't remember what the person you love the most gave you. What makes you think your client will remember you gave them wine six years from now? Right. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's it. my favorite question because it's like that's like the that's like the closing question without even closing them. Well, listen, we got to close the show today, but um, I I'd love to have you on again, David. Uh, we kind of just scratched the surface. Oh, yeah. how, how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about uh, giftology? I'm the easiest person to get a hold of. Uh, I'm on Instagram under Knife Guy David. Super easy. Uh, my Gmail is also Knife Guy David at gmail.com. Uh, my phone number three five two seven nine two four two zero zero. And also, I, as a cut co-rep, I have my own website, um, which is my cut co-rep backslash David E. Young. Super easy. And I want to tell all of our, our listeners that this gifting is amazing. If you're in business and you want to make a splash, contact David. It's amazing. I've been learning about it the last